Literature and Psychology by Dr. Saideh Malik Afzali, Dr. Daniel Rockers, and Dr. Alex Andrade from Tabana Organization. Tabana is a non-profit mental health organization organized in Sacramento, California. Tabana seeks to help individuals and families to strengthen their capabilities and to thrive. Aired on Saturdays and Sundays from 12 to 1 o'clock weekly. A very warm hello to our Radio Wamdad listeners. This is Saideh Malik Afsali speaking. I'm sitting with Dr. Daniel Rockers today. Dr. Alexandrade, the other partner of ours, is not here with us today. So we decided to talk about emotions and stress. Many times during our podcast, we have talked about different types of emotions, the major emotions um, that we can name, and also the cause of a stress. But today we want to talk about theories of emotions. The major theories are emotions that uh, we often see in our psychology um, er area uh, is the one that first James Lange um, brought up and it's named by him is called James Lange theory. This theory uh, actually proposes that when we expose ourselves to um, emotional um, stimulus, um, you know, something that causes a physiological reaction. In return, um, we perceive this as an emotion. So what happens, we face uh, with the stimulus and physically we react. For example, when uh, someone is faced with a um, bear, uh, this is an obvious example. Uh, let's say you're hiking and you run into a bear in the woods, um, so our heart begins to beat faster and we start breathing more deeply and we then feel um, the sense of um, apprehension, of we're afraid. So in other words, the experience of emotion follows um, physiological arousal. So what he's saying is we first first uh, face with um, physiological issues, which is deep breathing, which is um, heartbeat, um, and then we realize, oh, we are afraid. So um, the recent um, explanation for emotion is uh, basically the facial feedback hypothesis. Uh, and that predicts that uh, facial expressions are associated with specific emotions that initiate physiological changes um, that are consistent with our emotions. And research support the facial feedback hypothesis. They actually uh, talk about mimicking a facial expression that is associated with a specific emotion. So for example, if uh, we like to be a smiley person. If uh, actually this was something that I even draw a picture, you can put a pencil between your teeth and open your mouth. And that way, 
the mimic of your face um, learns how to smile all the time. So it's just by practice. Um, and then the next theory is Canon Bard. Canon Bard, unlike uh, James Lange, who, Lange, who says you first face with the stimulus of emotion and then you realize you know, what kind of emotions you have. But um, Canon Bard actually proposes that experience of an emotion and physiological arousal happens at the same time. So when an environmental stimulus, let's just give an example of the bear, for example, at that time, both the fear factor and the physiological um, emotions um, happen as at the same time. So, uh, or react at the same time, and we figure that this is, um, you know, the fear of facing with the bear. Um, any anything done regarding this two uh, theory, and then I get to the Shaster theory. So, in Ken and Bard, are you saying that the emotion leads to the physiological arousal? Like, if I, I experience an emotion, and then that causes my heart to beat faster. Is that right? Yeah. I, you know, this is all happens. Uh, basically, the way he explains it is uh, more into what happens to the brain. Like th thalamus, which receives input from the senses, um, sends the signals to cerebral cortex and the sympathetic nervous system. And um, this theory actually views all emotions as involving similar physiological arousal. And um, uh, for that reason, the differences in emotional reaction cannot be, say, to attribute to differences in the nature of physiological arousal. So basically, this emotion and the physical heartbeat or um, uh, raise of, uh, for example, uh, facial uh, emotions happens at the same time. So that's the difference between James Lange and Cannon Bard. And then Shaster and Singer's two-factor theory, this is also known as cognitive arousal theory. And that describes the experience of emotion as the result of physiological arousal that follows by an um, cognitive label. For example, we call it, you know, we are afraid, we are sad, we are, and then uh, we, we just put a label on it. So like Canon Bar theory, it assumes that physiological arousal is similar for all emotions, but also proposes that the differences in the experience of emotion are due to differences in the attributions for the arousal. Um, so basically that depends on external cues. So um, we can say the evidence for this theory um, was actually, as we said, um, done by Chaster and Singers in 1962 um, and actually the subjects um, experiencing, like if I'm experiencing unexplained arousal um, to the environment, 
that is basically um, the emotions I was experiencing in the past. So Shasta and Singer's um, studies actually generated a great deal of research afterwards on the um, actually the arousal, the stimulation of the physical um, behavior, which is tendency to sometimes mislabel some of the emotions or some of the arousal even. So, um, and then uh, you're probably familiar with Zellmans who actually followed this theory and um, uh, basically uh, sort of completed this theory. And research also has found um, excitation um, transfer that um, basically we apply to variety of uh, emotional reactions. For instance, um, sorry. Um, so continuing our conversation. Um, so we said, for example, um, the sexual excitation has been found to intensify subsequent anger, sadness, um, and um, residual um, excitation from fear has been found to be intensify uh, subsequent sexual attraction and joy. So when we get to all these uh, theories, uh, we sort of go back to the brain and the mechanism. Something, as we said, happens in the thalamus um, and then um, transfer signals to cerebral cortex. But each part of the brain actually is responsible for something that we get to the stress part. So um, the brain mechanism um, was explained by Papaz in 1937, um, who was the first one who linked emotions to specific areas of the brain. So we call that, actually, we know that in psychology as Papaz circuit, which consists of uh, several um, interconnection, um, interconnected structures um, like hippo, um, hippocampus, uh, mammillary bodies, and all those things that, you know, I can name it, but probably it's not part of this conversation. But each part have a sort of uh, important role that they play in our emotion, like cerebral cortex, amygdala, uh, hypothalamus, but then when we get to stress, uh, what is a stress? Um, one of the uh, psychologists, Celius, that we another time talked about him, he proposed that body's response to all types of a stress is the same. Um, so any parts of the response in the body is the same and involves three stages, uh, alarm reaction, um, resistance stage, and then exhaustion. And what happens is that in the alarm reaction stage, um, increased activity on the sympathetic nervous system um, provides our body with the energy that we need to respond to a stressor with a fight and flight reaction. If the stressor 
persists, the resistance stage begins. And what that is during this stage, some physiological function go back to the normal, um, while cortisol, which is a stress hormone, continues to circulate at the elevate at the elevated level to help the body maintain the high energy level and be able to cope with the stressor. If the stress consists um, and um, doesn't resolve, then the exhaustion um, state begins. And in that stage, physiological processes begin to break down. And that's the part that it's, it could be dangerous to our body and can be very um, toxic to our body if that consists. And we know that a lot of people get uh, sick um, when their body is uh, going through so much of these um, stressors and um, stress reactions. Um, we know people have heart attack, people's um, immune system goes down and so many issues happen um, to the physical uh, part of the body. So maybe we can have a break and come back to continue our conversation. شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد من امروز به همراه دکتر راکرز در خدمتون هستیم و صحبت میکنیم راجع به اینکه ما عواطفمون که ما بهش اموشن میگیم و میزان استرسمون به چه صورت روی بدنمون و روی چطوری مغز ما این مسائل رو پروسس میکنه عکس العمل باش نشون میده و امروز داریم راجع به این صحبت میکنیم که چه اتفاقی در بدن میفته و چطوری ممکنه حتی استرس های طولانی ما رو مریض بکنه یا اینکه ما رو آماده بکنه برای گرفتن بیماری هایی که بدن ما ضعیف شده و میتونه اونا رو بگیره بنابراین یک سمیه که وارد بدنمون میکنیم برمیگردیم با دکتر راکرز و در خدمتون هستیم دنباله صحبتمون رو جوین بابا رو من کی بود 
with Dr. Rockers and we continue our conversation regarding emotions and stress. So far we talked about different theories that uh, famous psychologists in different uh, era they brought um, for, forward and then uh, they led to other researchers work and um, we ended with uh, three stages of stress, alarm reaction stage, resistance stage um, and also Lastly, exhaustion stage, which makes our body uh, susceptible uh, to receiving maybe some uh, physical issues, some psychological issues, because when the body uh, is weak, we, are, uh, we could be um, easily getting um, physical uh, issues, uh, sicknesses, illnesses, our immune system goes down. So uh, we talked about uh, Celia's uh, uh, three levels of uh, uh, stages of uh, stress. And um, also we need to mention that um, some of the researchers actually challenged Celia's and mentioned that um, there are different sort of stress causes and there are sort of different ways the body responds. And one of them actually is uh, Mac Edwins. Uh, he talks about allostatic load model, which is based on the assumption that the brain is the key organ of a stress because it determines um, what is threatening and therefore stressful and also determines the physiological and behavior responses. So Mac Edwin actually identifies the amygdala, hippocampus, and uh, prefrontal cortex as the primary mediators of these functions. He also uses the term um, that's called allostasis. Uh, allostasis um, refers to processes that allow the body to achieve a stability by adopting um, to change. For example, elevated blood pressure and cortisol level may be uh, necessary to adopt to a stressful event. These processes result in allostatic state that um, can be maintained for a short amount of time without having um, a, a very adverse consequences. Uh, so um, the an extended allostatic state um, due to chronic stress or repeated um, episodes of uh, stress 
um, can be produced wear and tear on the body and brain. Um, and that is referred to allostatic load. So there's so much load and we continuously are going through different uh, level of stress and our body, um, the same situation where we were discussing what Silius was saying, we get to the exhaustion. For example, it can cause dysregulation of the immune system, um, which actually makes um, individuals to be vulnerable to diseases and can result in PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, and major depressive disorder, substance um, use disorder, or other stress-related um, psychological disorder. So in um, the past experiences I have at work, we had uh, colleagues who were getting sick over and over, um, getting different situations um, physically, going through a process of um, uh, you know, treatments for their illnesses. And it was major part of it was a stress at work. So it is very, very important to be aware of what happens to our body when we have too much stress, we are loaded um, by different situations uh, at work. So based on all of this, maybe now we can talk about how we can really work uh, psychologically um, to basically learn how to always um, be at center as much as possible and how to don't allow stress takes over. So maybe we can talk about uh, one of the most important theories for treatment we often talk is uh, called CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And I know Dr. Rockers is basically very good at that. And now he can take over and talk about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which in short, we call it CBT. CBT. Cognitive behavioral therapy. What, well, but what does it mean, Side A? I mean, really, what does CBT mean? Um, well, as we said, cognitive behavioral therapy. So maybe we can talk. Uh, break it down. Yeah, break it down. Cognitions, which are thoughts. Yes. And behaviors, which are observable movements that we do in the environment. I think let's jump back a moment, though, for some specific examples of what you've talked about. It's very interesting as you were talking, especially about um, Selye's stress response, those three stages. And what I was thinking about was the uh, COVID stuff that we've gone through. That's like a period of extended stress. Yes. And I think lots of people getting kind of burned out from all that. Absolutely. Yes. I think that's it's a very good example, right? For me, I think I'm seeing, I think that a lot of this, the not wearing the masks is people have just kind of uh, reached that exhaustion phase. And they're like, I, I really don't care. Whatever happens now is whatever is going to happen. And mm -hmm. so I wonder if that's the case. And then the other thing I was thinking of too, which is kind of interesting, as we people reach that exhaustion stage, they become more susceptible to um, physical illness and so on. 
So we probably would should be able to see if we look on a larger scale, more hospital visits due to stress and things like that, more illnesses. But I wonder also if the stress of COVID itself of being around and trying to worry about it is making people more susceptible to catching COVID now. Interesting. Well, I am a hard believer that um, when you're worried about something, you are stressed about that and you just go towards, um, you know, that, that, that you were afraid of, you know, it's like, yeah, as soon as, for example, you, you feel something in your throat or any of the symptoms that you know about COVID you've heard and you've read about, as soon as that happens, you immediately feel like, oh, I'm getting it. And you're actually you know, rather than your body um, be, um, you know, strong uh, in not even, or your mind, basically, we we have to first think of the mind. If your mind is strong enough and and you have hard belief that, oh, you know, my body is strong, I'm not getting it. You behave differently, your body behaves differently because I feel like, your mind and body feed each other constantly. So when in your mind you are strong and you're saying you're not getting sick, and of course, we are not going to fool ourselves. You have to also be very careful not to be around, you know, big crowds or people who you know are careless. But I mean, when you sort of have this uh, cautious and you are being careful with that, then you should always feel like, why should I get it when I don't go to crowd, when if even I go, I wear masks. So I believe that whatever you feed in your mental um, uh, body, you also um, pass it on to your physical body because these two are so related. So maybe it's a good topic now to talk about the cognitive behavior therapy, what it means and why psychologists use that as a, an important part of their treatment with different disorders, specifically now that you brought the uh, COVID, it's a very good example to break it down and talk about that. So when you broke it down, you talked about cognitive. So what is cognitive? Cognitive is basically a deep understanding. What do we um, understand? What? How do we define things. And then behavior is the action or reaction that we have. And um, and then when we talk about therapy is the treatment of sort of mental issues. So a cognitive in cognitive behavioral therapy has to do with your thinking, how you think. And that is instead of how you feel, emotion. So we're talking about in cognitive behavioral theory, they're focusing more on the thoughts and that thoughts will lead to emotions or thoughts will lead to behaviors. So thoughts are the primary unit that is worked with or analyzed in this place or thinking. And the problems in cognitive behavioral theory, your problems come from your thinking or wrong ways of thinking or distorted ways of thinking. So that's the issue in there. That What's that? No, absolutely. It's, it's all about thinking. And our thoughts always lead us to all sorts of, um, you know, 
positivity or negativity, but I just thought maybe it would be nice to mention uh, now that we use this theory all the time as psychologists, uh, who was the um, um, proposed, who proposed this theory? Uh, it is important to know Beck was uh, the person who originally developed uh, an intervention for depression and is now uh, considered an evidence-based treatment. And what we mean by evidence-based is uh, by research, by numbers, by data, um, and not only now for depression, but also for bipolar disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, anorexia nervosa, uh, bulimia, nervous uh, schizophrenia, um, obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD, PTSD, a number of other disorders. It's based on the assumption that physiological disturbance is due largely to maladaptive cognitive schema, um, schemas, automatic thoughts and cognitive uh, distortions. So maybe we can talk about what do we mean by that? That what, what do we mean when we say cognitive schema? Those are core beliefs that develop during our childhood and as a result of experience and certain biological factors such as biological reactivity to a stress. And the schemas are um, enduring and can be maladaptive or adaptive and are um, basically are automatic thoughts. So it's, it's like a, a deeply held belief system. And these are often below the level of conscious awareness. Yes, absolutely. So according to Beck, cognitive profile for depression is negative beliefs about oneself, about the world, and uh, about uh, the future. So these deeply held beliefs like this about self, world, future, those we might hold, and we might hold these at such a deep level, we don't even know we're holding them. And we get them from childhood. So an example might be, um, I am at the core, uh, not a very good person. I'm a defective person, or I'm a bad person. And so then what happens is this person will tend to see all of the events that happened to him or her through that lens. Say, well, yeah, I, this is what happens to me because I'm not a very good person or I'm a bad person, or, yep, I'm to blame. I, I Somehow it was my fault. And those sorts of things then can lead us into depression. And that's the maladaptive ones. And you mentioned adaptive ones also. So, and it, what could be an example of an adaptive one? Do you have any off the top of your head? Um, it could be the opposite of negative beliefs. You know, like, you know, I'm a successful person. Um, I can do well. Could it be the opposite of negative as well? Yeah. If I try hard enough, I know I can get these things. Mm-hmm. What a great, what a great belief to walk around with to not for, for a child to have that. If I, if I try hard enough, I can do that. I think that's the basis for a lot of children's stories. Like, isn't there one about the train, the little choo-choo train? I think I can. I think I can. Yeah. And he's uh-huh. able to climb up the hill. I yeah. think that's the moral of that story that's trying to be injected yes. into the children is like a positive 
core belief or a positive positive cognitive schema absolutely yes you probably did you work with people at school and the school work that you did did you you must have worked with things like that maybe maybe not directly calling it that but in a lot of ways you're trying to help people get that belief system right yes absolutely especially in children at school i was working with um, many of them uh, let's say, for example, I have so many examples of this. A parent left um, the child, whether with the mom or the opposite, with the dad, the other partner left. And the child feels like that mom or that doesn't love me um, because, you know, they left me. And this I'm not a lovable person just keeps staying in, in the child until this child uh, grows up becomes an adult, gets into relationship, and always that is in his or her mind that I'm not lovable and and, and this other person is going to leave me. So th- this is one example. The other example is that, um, for example, uh, a child that doesn't accept responsibility, and even if you call um, this child on something, they always uh, deny or they lie. And then when you think what happens in the childhood um, growing up of this child's life, you realize that parents, um, even if the child, for example, said what um, truly um, happened or what he did or she did that caused this issue that parents were not happy about, if parents regardless of whether the child admits to the mistake or not, they, um, the consequences is the same. The child learns, why should I even admit to the mistake I made? I better don't, because if I say I did it, I'm going to get it. You know what I mean? It's like the consequences is as bad. Whether I say I did it, this was my mistake. For example, you break something or you... Um, you do something in your childhood um, play um, that makes your parents upset. So when you say, oh, you know, I trip over, I ran into this, I break this thing, and um, the parent start yelling at you. um, And then so you learn, okay, I better lie. So the next time if something happens, go, I didn't do it, Um, something happened, even though the parent know you're lying, but you keep practicing because you get away from consequences. There's so many examples of what happens in life that who we become that goes back to the treatment we received from our parents, to to how we've been raised, to the beliefs that we build based on interaction we had with our siblings or our parents. So then in the school system, did you, were you working with people to help to see things differently? Is that, was that part of how you worked? Absolutely. Absolutely. And because of that, I can just go through step by step of, you know, for example, cognitive schemas. Um, Again, we go back to our core beliefs that um, we said develops during childhood. And we gave um, some examples. So uh, for example, um, this I face with many um, children with depression and anxiety. So um, based on this cognitive profile, 
for depression, a child who is depressed or has depression has negative beliefs about himself or herself and thinks the world is all negative. Things happen because the world is not a safe place. The world is not really uh, supporting me in anything I want to do. And therefore, the future is all negative. So what happens with automatic thoughts, they're just the statements that uh, or, or mental images um, we automatically have based on over and over thinking that way or telling ourselves that. For example, a child who tells him himself or herself that I'm not lovable and therefore um, things you know, are going to fall apart because my friends don't love me. Um, so you're not sure of people around you, whether they like you, they love you. Um, so you don't feel like you're supported or all your mental images is around that. So these thoughts and these words that you tell yourself come to your mind spontaneously when you are triggered by circumstances or something happens immediately that goes back to you. For example, uh, a very um, a casual example is a friend calls you and says, um, I can't come to pick you up. So you get immediate um, impression that oh, he doesn't care about me or she doesn't care about me. I'm not worthy of, uh, you know, someone to come and help me or get me or, you know, so many negative automatic thoughts are um, distortion that um, distortion of reality, emotional distress. Um, so they interfere with the life goals and, um, you know, life um, images that um, you could have for yourself. So it's, it's just all negative. So what we do is uh, we try to uh, tell the children, understand, uh, let's say, put some words. You say, I'm not worthy of getting any support. I'm not lovable. Um, I can't say the truth because then I have consequences if I tell the truth. That's why I rather lie. So we say, okay, let's write these things that come to your mind. And immediately when something happens and this, ha this comes to your mind, um, let's just try to uh, reason for each of these. Why would you say I'm not worthy of getting support? So the child starts telling you because of this, because of that. And you go back to what happened when this child was being raised by a single mom, single dad, or by both parents sometimes, but not really paying attention too much to what is uh, important in the life of children with um, constantly um, putting the child under attack with negativity. So we say, okay, let's talk about this. So you write it and you bring all this up, but then you say, okay, let's go back to the situation that caused you to think that, but that situation brought all this, um, uh, you know, past to mind. And then what happens if we change these words um, and, and immediately you see that in child's face, 
there is a different emotion. I am lovable. And then you discuss things that happened wasn't because of you. Things that happened was because of the situation and you don't take it personally. So um, the primary goal of CBT is to correct the faulty information processing and to help individuals to modify assumptions that, um, you know, the, that uh, maladaptive emotions. So basically, uh, these are behavioral techniques like um, activity scheduling, um, behavioral rehearsal, uh, exposure therapy, and, um, you know, guided imagery. So you walk the child with something completely different than what has been always uh, imprinted in their mind. This might be a good time for us to take our second break. Absolutely. شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد من به همراه دکتر راکر در خدمتتون هستیم امروز راجع به استرس و ایموشن صحبت می‌کنیم و اینکه چه راههایی هستش که ما میتونیم کمک کنیم به خودمون یا اطرافیانمون که از این فکرهای نادرست دوری کنن یکی از تکنیک‌ها اینه که هر چیز که میاد تو فکر ما و توی تصور ما که نگتیو هستش سعی کنیم اینا رو بنویسیم و بعد فکر کنیم چه اتفاقی افتاد که ما راجع به این اینطوری فکر کردیم و در حقیقت تمام اینا افکاری هستش که به دلیل شاید تجارب کودکیمون برای ما تو ذهنمون حک شده و به صورت نگتیو به صورت منفی همیشه میاد تو ذهن ما و راههایی هستش که ما میتونیم کمک کنیم به خودمون تا اینکه این افکار نادرست و نابجا رو از ذهنمون دور بکنیم و آینده بهتری رو برای خودمون ببینیم انقدر منفی بافی در زندگی و دنیا رو اینطوری منفی نبینیم برمیگردیم و با دکتر راکرز در خدمتون هستیم چه حافظ پای کوبان و غزل خان 
لشکر غم را به بر فلک سخی نمانده این زمانه هر بزن تا بیکرانه سرنوشت را باید از سرنوشت شاید این با کمی بهتر نوشت آشقی را غرق در باور Dr. Daniel Rockers, this is Saide Malik Afzali speaking. We don't have Dr. Alexandrade, the other partner of ours today with us. Uh, so far, we've been talking about emotions and stress. We bent over the theories of uh, physiological and uh, stimulus, uh, environmental uh, stressors. Uh, and we talked about different levels of what happens to our uh, body when um, something um, negative uh, we face, like when we see a bear, when we are hiking, um, and we went through the uh, theories of different um, important psycholo psychologists um, in the history of psychology. Then we talked about cognitive behavior therapy, what it is, the steps that we go through with our patients. And um, now we are continuing our conversation. Um, I wanted to also talk about the uh, alliance between the therapist and client that it's very, very important because uh, that is uh, something that uh, we know it helps um, to accept, support, um, and, and just understand um, and trust that um, whatever goes into our mind, if we are into that negativity, it might be something that we build through our um, childhood development. And uh, we keep that in our mind as part of our beliefs. And the other thing I was gonna say is besides this uh, cognitive um, behavioral therapy, uh, rational emotion, emotive behavior therapy also is an important um, therapy uh, that we can talk about that. And this is basically a follow-up or a, um, attribution to what Beck brought uh, as cognitive behavior therapy. And that is the um, attribution of disturbances to irrational beliefs that um, causes, again, all this must, shoulds, outs, have-tos, and et cetera. And that lead to negative emotion that largely interfere with the goal of our life. For example, I must do well on all of the important projects I take on. 
If not, I'm an inadequate person, or you must take care of me when I need you to do so. And if not, you're not a good person. These are examples of irrational beliefs. And Ellis uses ABCDE model to explain um, psychological disturbances and uh, the process of change in therapy. So A stands for activating events, which means what happened. B is our belief about that event or whatever happens. And C is emotional or behavioral consequence of that belief. And D is uh, the therapist's use of technique of disputing the individual's or client's irrational belief. And E is the effect of these techniques, which is the replacement of irrational belief with a more rational one. So uh, people who use the psychologists or practitioners who use REBT, which is irrational, uh, rational emotive behavioral therapy, um, use variety of cognitive behavioral and um, emotive techniques. Um, like, for example, uh, disputing irrational beliefs, rational emotive images, uh, systematic desynthesization, and also skills training. So, for example, we can just give an example of the COVID that Dr. Rockers brought, um, which is very good example. So what is happening? COVID is everywhere. So that's activating event. B is the belief about that event. So for example, I believe that I finally am gonna get the COVID. And C is um, the emotion and the behavior that comes with that consequence. What happens? I'm gonna go to the hospital, probably I can make it. I'm gonna have a, a problem with my lungs and all of those negative thoughts. And uh, D is if we can be our own therapist is immediately disputing that negative thought, which, or if you're working with a therapist, if that is something that it's your problem and you think if you, for example, get this, this is gonna happen. So the therapist works with you to dispute that negative beliefs. And uh, E, which we talked about the effect of these techniques, obviously, when you practice, when you, try to write it down, take a write in your journal, uh, start imagining differently, and just believe that this is distorted thinking that you're developing and it's all in your mind because nothing has happened. And then replacing that irrational thought into something different and positive. For example, even if I get that, I'm sure I have enough uh, strength in my body that I can fight it. I have supports. Uh, I have a very good um, physician that will support me. And all those positive will take place in the negative. And, and obviously, at the very end, um, the result when we practice and practice, it's going to be different. And we try to train ourselves to build the skills to fight that negative um, emotions. Do you think that this sort of approach can be helpful for people with uh, concerns about aging? Good point. I think, uh, you know, 
if you practice, it, it would help. And if you build that um, uh, positivity in, your, in you, uh, absolutely. And one of the things I want to invite our listeners to is um, we all age and that's the normal thing that happens. And we um, sort of might have some negative thoughts about uh, being old age and um, being left alone or being left in the uh, nursing home or all these negative thoughts that happens. Uh, one of the things, first of all, um, as an older person, we need to tell ourselves you know, death is not only for old people. Anytime at any age can happen. You know, you um, have seen in your life so many um, things that happens in people's life that they, regardless of their age. And this is one thing. The second, you can't um, protect, pro, um, you can't uh, project what happens uh, at the next hour. Uh, yet alone to think of further on the road, what happens to you. So one of the positive things we need to tell ourselves that, you know, um, it's not just the old age that goes through difficulty, uh, difficulties and death is for all ages. The other thing is, what is your experience about old age? Have you seen your parents going through so much suffering? Have you seen some great things happening to people as they're getting old, um, that they have such great um, um, legacy that, you know, they're proud of? Um, and that legacy could be your good work with um, with your colleagues, with good work with your friends, with so many things that you can bring into your life that can give you that um, you know, positivity and, and not just go to that route. But also, uh, I know there's a specific profession in psychology, which is genetic psychology that works with old age. And I'm sure they have a lot more to say to that. But personally, I feel like if you keep yourself busy, if your days are filled with um, productive work that you do, whether it's reading about the information you receive, whether it's about activities you do, even a simple walk, even a simple cooking, even baking. And, and if you are into music, doesn't matter how old you are, you still can do that. Uh, if you have activities that definitely needs this strength, you have to start thinking about something that when you're older and you can do those things, for example, biking, uh, kayaking, hiking, maybe you can just simplify it to just a simple walk and think that I can do that. And if even that, because life brings so many um, surprises for us, then what do I do? Do I write? Do I write a book? Do I um, help children with their reading? Do I volunteer myself to go to communities and help children who have difficulty uh, reading, um, you know, catching up with their school? Can I take on, um, you know, two, three of these high school kids who have problem meeting the requirement of high school graduation, help them with their schoolwork, uh, have them come to me 
even if I can go to them to help them for free tutoring. I mean, there's so many things we can think of. And each of us, doesn't matter whether we were a teacher or knew the curriculum or not, there is knowledge in us that we can definitely help the school children. Um, so with that, uh, we are getting to the end of our program, but I just want to make sure, Dr. Rockers, I was the solo speaker, <laughs> and I want to apologize for that, but the topic was so interested that I kept going, and you were kind enough to just listen. You did a great job. You did a wonderful job. A part uh, that I would add here at the end, kind of a tip for people along the lines of cognitive behavioral therapy is to look at or see if you can discover what are your beliefs or what is a belief that is affecting your current behaviors. And especially with regard to that idea of aging, which we're every single person alive faces that issue and see if you can understand what are your beliefs about aging? You know, what did you see when you were growing up? What did, did you notice feeling or believing something after your grandparents died or if your parents died or if a sibling passed away? What sorts of things did that cause you to start? How does that cause you to see the world is really what it is. Because whatever those things are, as you begin to age more and more, those will come up for you. Those will be your own fears. Those are your own fears. Let's see if you can understand what those are. And then you, when we become aware of something, then we begin to have the capacity to make change. Then we have some power. Without awareness, though, we are powerless to make that change. Absolutely. Whatever you said, Dr. Rockers, was absolutely great. And I want to invite our listeners to keep busy. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what you do. If you're busy at work and you're still young, um, definitely have some hobbies on the side and think of the future because when you're retired, you need to have some hobbies to keep to keep yourself busy. And whatever age you are, you're very capable of doing whatever you want, except you may just do it a slower, you may need more time, but definitely you are very capable, you can do anything, and then you can accomplish any goals you have. Maybe it takes longer for you, but definitely it's doable. So with that, I want to wish everyone a great time. And until tomorrow that we come back and continue another uh, topic of conversation. Have a wonderful uh, rest of the day.